Cheers, friends. This is Owning Her Seat, a podcast highlighting women in entrepreneurship, hospitality, and the restaurant industry. Today, I am showcasing my friend, Cynthia Ruff, who is a blogger at Darling Down South and a new business owner with her company, Competent. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm thrilled. Okay, so introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, all that fun jazz. Yep. So my name is Cynthia Ruff and I've been blogging for about seven years now. I think I really started to cut my teeth before Instagram came around. So Erica and I are kind of like OG in that way. <laughs> we are. Um, and so I went to back to MBA school and started toying around with this idea of like having a compensation management tool for brands and agencies. So my professional corporate career really dealt with paying executives and salaries and compensation and make sure that the market, is, the market pay was fair for whatever role they're going into. And so now we're taking this this model and replicating it for influencers and brands to make sure that uh, everyone has a really good feeling about walking away from a deal where they are compensated with confidence. And uh, it's not a one size fits all marketing budget. And we understand that that type of uh, consideration needs to go into how you pay influencers for deals. Okay. So we're getting to the tough questions here. Yes. Okay. So how did you get into the blogging negotiation space? Because we all know I like negotiation. You're like the that, best at it. That's my thing. <laughs> there's one thing I don't like doing, but money. I always want to talk about the money. Okay. So how did you get into that? I mean, obviously your blogger background, but what made you think like, this is what I want to do? Yeah. Um, it was actually right before the pandemic. I was in a class called collaborative product development at Georgia tech. And we were toying around with the idea of like starting a new business. Cause that was the whole premise of the class project. And at that time I got a request from one of my friends to manage her social media and I was like I just don't know how much to price for this there's no real resource online like she's a new business am I underpricing myself by doing her this favor blah blah and I was like why isn't there a glass door for creative professionals Correct. and so that was like the whole way that this business started and then I was we started like honing in more on like the problem and the messaging we realized that there's real no like compensation management tool for brands and agencies and there's no like glass door for influencers. So that is what we're going out and building because we saw this pattern of like um, non, non-transparency and just opaqueness in the market and trying to figure out what to pay and how much to charge and are you asking for a fair rate? So we are out there solving that for people. So what do you think the biggest mistake influencers make when brand negotiation? Well, twofold. So one, they don't ask questions first of like how much the budget is. So a brand will say, hey, we want you to do all this stuff. What's your rate? You can also, as an influencer, take that control back in the conversation and say, well, what's your budget? So now you know at least like a benchmark of where they're thinking of putting you at. And then second of all, if they want you to send over their rate, your rates, people just tend to really like send the rates over. Like your rates might change year over year, but a brand has that rate sheet now that you've sent over and you're kind of like garnered into that corner of what your rates are. So those are the two issues that I see a lot with influencers sending over rates. Um, the brand holds on to that, that they kind of generalize for maybe that, that size influencer onto other influencers. And so now we have like this really weird siloed view of how an influencer prices. Interesting. Okay. So what advice would you give an influencer through the step. We all know, well, if we don't, pretty much if you're an influencer, a brand will see you. They want to work with you. They send the email. Hey, we love your content. This is mm-hmm. the rate. This is the budget. What? Give us some tips on how they can kind of spearhead that process that they are getting compensated fairly, but they're not shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Uh, so I would say always understand how much time it takes for you to um, create content and then know that you cannot replicate sponsored content. Like 
every single day of the week. So you are at like this fixed finite uh, position of having maybe like four sponsored posts per month. And if you're trying to make a set compensation goal for the entire year, you need to like start at that, like what you want to make per year and start tailoring it back week by week by how much sponsored content you think you can fill up in your calendar. Um, Obviously there comes to a whole point where you're putting too much sponsored posts in, you're degrading your audience and the brands don't want to reach out because now you're shilling for everybody. So for an influencer, you really need to understand like, what are my overall compensation goals? How much time does it take for me to create content? What is my hourly rate going to be fixated from that? And then what is the actual rate of me potentially getting sponsored work with a brand? So why do you think a lot of influencers are scared to ask what the rate really is just based off of your experience? Or like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> we have these conversations all the time. I'm going to start rambling in a few minutes, but I want well, your, view, your viewpoint. I, there's so many people who give it away for free. So, you know, they think, well, if I ask, I'm going to ruin this relationship with the brand. And not really. I mean, there's a lot of times where a brand just doesn't know that you actually charge for posts. Maybe you haven't had a sponsored post in about a month or so. And so they don't see you taking on sponsored content. So they think that you're going to take on, you know, product for trade for free, which maybe you are willing to do that for once. But this is your opportunity as a influencer and as a smart blogger to say, all right, well, we're going to tie some metrics to this free product for the first time. And then the next time we do something, I want it to be paid. Here's a contract stating that if I meet XYZ matrix, we're going to work on a content uh, or a collaboration that's actually going to get paid for our next um, get together for what we're working on. And this is, I think this is where a lot of influencers fails. They don't see that opportunity for product to be leveraged into payment and then leveraged into partnerships, which equal like consistent and like uh, revenue that they can count on month over month, year over year, because onboarding a new influencer is really expensive for a brand. So the longer that they can hold this influencer in their pipeline and in their funnel, the essentially cheaper it is for them to like go get new talent. So we've seen the influencer space change over the years. What do you think is more important right now, content or numbers? Um, well, it's twofold. I suppose it depends on what the brand is after. So obviously there's a lot of brands out there who are doing like a spray and pray approach where they just want to get as many influencers on their campaign as possible. They only care about reach. They don't even care about FTC guidelines. Like they're just like, here, here's some product, post it on your stories, tag us, here's the hashtag, whatever, like goodbye, wash their hands of it. Um, so I think, you know, an ethical brand who's like really trying to drive true engagement, true engagement, true fans for their own business, they are looking for engagement. So I think followers is, it's, it's a really need, needing or a necessary metric for brands. Um, engagement is also something that continuously comes up in conversations. You know, can they drive sales? Can they drive actual clicks? Can they drive follows? And then um, another metric is, of course, you know, do they have a full content studio in place? Because a lot of these new growth stage companies that come to influencers, they want content generated for their website, for their social, to repurpose for ads. And so for you as an influencer, you can understand which side of the fold that they're coming from, whether they want engagement metrics or whether they want content metrics, and you can price for both of those. For sure. I love how literally this space has changed so much. And like, I remember we both were like working for free, but we worked for free differently. We actually did things that we enjoy doing. What are four things when negotiating that influencers should look out? Because sometimes these companies, it's not sneaky. It's a lot of these influencers don't view this as a business. Right. And a lot of things, they may sign contracts. They may not have an attorney 
on site? What are four things that you're like, ah, 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 make sure you watch out for these terms or things like that? Yep. Uh, well, first for me is always uh, how long it's going to get paid. So, you know, you might get a $10,000 contract, but if it doesn't pay 120 days until after you submitted all your final work, which maybe the contract is like a six month long contract, you're not getting paid for forever. And that sucks. Yeah. So that is the one thing I look out for. If they can't pay me under 30 days, um, I make them pay me more because now I have to wait. Yeah. So a second one is also whitelisting my content, which, you know, is great. Uh, we, for those who do not know oh, what yes. is whitelisting content, Cynthia. Thank you. Whitelisting is when they take your content and they promote it from your channel on behalf of the brand as you are now the spokesperson for their brand on whatever digital channel they want to do. So you're like, oh, how great. My content is going to be everywhere. And it's like, well, not really, because the stipulation of whitelisting is actually very vague and they could take your photo put it on a billboard on the busiest highway in Shanghai and you would never know about it. You would never receive royalties. You would never receive licensing. So those are the kinds of things where um, as you get deeper into the space, you need to understand, like, don't give away your content for free. For sure. So obviously likeness is kind of another thing too. So if they want my physical face to be in this thing with their product, I'm going to charge more for that because now I've become like an actual spokesperson for this um, product. Um, and then, you know, depending on swipe ups and their, uh, other metrics for wanting to drive sales, do they want a blog post? Do they want content rights? I mean, content rights again, are those things where it's like, it's not whitelisting, but now they have it to own for their own, their owned media, which is anything that is website, print, digital. Now you could be in a pitch deck going to all their investors saying, we have these influencers on board who are supporting our brand. And it's like, maybe you worked with them once, like, are you sure you support them that long term? Because they might have that content in their house for like 10 years and end up pulling from it year after year and you don't see anything from that. Which is huge. Huge. I mean, commercial photographers charge like $100,000 for the photo shoot up front and then they get like extended licensing for the rest of their content usage as the brand wants to use it. That's crazy, especially because- It's insane. It, I mean, yes, because it's like they're saving so much money working with influencers trying to stick things in content contracts. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? For influencers just getting started, what are three tips you would give them to start on success? Yeah. Um, I really don't think posting for product is a bad way to start because if you are starting from nothing, you have no voice in any segment and there's a certain segment that you want to target, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I don't think a lot of influencers realize like how much investment it costs to really start everything up and do it right for like the first time. So if yes. you were going to be a content heavy you know, quality content driven influencer, you're going to want to partner with brands to take photos of their products to then post it on your channel to build that credibility badge, because then you can take this and lever it up for another deal in the future. Um, get a business, get your business registered as soon as you want to toy with it and get it registered. And if you really want to keep with this name for the rest of your life, trademark it, it's going to save you so much strife in the long run. Oh, yeah. Uh, Erica, of course, knows all about trademark <laughs> infringements and people trying to use her name. Um, I thankfully have, you can essentially prove in court that you've been using the name longer if you have a web domain that's associated, but it's lawyer fees and legal nonsense, then who wants to deal with that? Okay. Um, and then get friends in the space. I mean, 
honestly, so if I were to go back and do it all over and I would never do it by myself, I would go find a partner who can then do this with like someone who can do the back end or whatever. And just like have someone who can always like help facilitate and support and schedule. That's really important. But then also have like make friends in the, like in your space. Yeah. It's really important. It's really fun. It makes it, it makes the lows worth it because there will be lows just like there will be highs and there will be lows and you better get comfortable in those valleys. <laughs> and, um, you know, you want to have your friends there to support you and say, Oh, well, it's okay. Like it's the $2,000. That's a 2000 follower slump. Like just keep riding the wave or whatever. Yeah. And just make those friendships by being nice, be a true fan, be engaged in their content go out there and say nice things about them. I love it. So with your blog, you've had so many amazing opportunities. You've been featured in Guardian Glenn. Pinch me moment. I know. I mean, hello. <laughs> what has been some of your keys to success with working with some of these amazing brands? Um, even when I get rejections, I say thank you for the opportunity. Like a no doesn't have to be a negative. A no doesn't also have to be right now. So, you know, I always say, well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my pitch. Thank you for whatever. And being a true fan of the people that I want to work with. So I've, if you want to work in a magazine with the magazine, follow all the editors, follow the people who do these scoops and whatever section that you're trying to get into, comment on their stuff, be engaged in their life. I mean, these people pull from who they find in their network around them. So like if you were a part of that network, they're going to pull from you. So I know we said we're going to chat about your Harvard business statistics of influencers. Yeah. So let's, let's go through it. Okay. Um, it's a really big industry. Um, <laughs> it's a very valuable industry. There's about $15 billion spent in the influencer industry every single year. And that's not just limited to the United States, that's worldwide. And it's great. I'm honestly shocked that the pandemic did not squash the influencer industry. It was kind of, I remember like when it started coming, I was like, oh, we're going to find out if the influencer industry is like a recession proof industry. Really? And it is. Well, I felt like just me being at home, I felt like we were the only group of individuals that would be able to be at our house and still execute photo shoots. Like lots of times influencers, they have their husbands taking their pictures. They have a tripod taking their pictures or they had like me, a photographer sneaking over to take my pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were the only ones that didn't need these hundred thousand dollar budgets to execute, execute, you know, content yeah. at home. We could just go get the product, go in our living room and pull up. You know right. what I mean? So I felt like it was going to grow more in 2020 than ever. It's, I guess I had such a different mindset. And my only, my, mine came from the fact that typically marketing budgets are the first to get cut. And people always house influencer stuff under marketing budgets. But I think what we saw instead is that they started getting rid of the agency reps, which it's really unfortunate. I mean, I hate that anyone lost their job, but it was just very interesting to see that the influencer was still like a mainstay in getting that content message out for brands. That's huge. It, it's it's massive. And like the affiliate, net, like there's a whole new breed of creators who like evolved in this last year because they were stuck at home. Now there's like TikTok, which Can I'm you believe too old. TikTok? I'm too old. You're not. I'm on I'm TikTok. Just, I know. I'm just TikTok is great. It's up. They said it's supposed to be up to like 72% That's next amazing. year. Wow. I need to... Yeah, I'll, I'll invest more into We're it. We're not really dancing on the talk, but well, like I'm, every time I get on it, it's just girls in crop tops with or like people screaming at the camera, and I'm like, and all my friends are like, you just have to get trained the algorithm. And I was like, no, that's what they want you to do. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me you are a millennial without telling me you're a that millennial. Was, yeah, that was it. <laughs> so when you first started your blog, what was your end goal, and how has that end goal shifted? Uh, I always started with the intention of making money, and I think that's something yeah. that you hear in the industry is like, don't try to get into it for making money. And it's like, well, I think you can get into it for what you love if you 
also make money from what you love. That's great. Um, so, you know, my big thing was like, oh, I hope in five years I get to do something in the garden again. And within like three years of me setting that yeah. goal, I was able to meet it. And so now I'm just kind of in like a, well, how can I level up from here? Can I work with more brands? Are there more people that I could create content with? Could we create video? Could, you know, there's all these like, could we do this? And I think also building out this platform for influencers and brands to price their work is another section off from blogging. Which I love. So you launched your shop, launched you launched shop. a product. What was, how was that process different from creating content for brands and then actually like having to see if you're as influential as you think you are? Because that's, that's what that right. I learned with my product. Like, yep. are y'all going to buy it or not? Like, you right. know, but <laughs> you're like, you follow me exactly. buy this. Um, Wow. Uh, I really misjudged my audience the first time I launched my first product. And that's like the number one. I did not have a foothold on what people actually wanted to spend money on. Um, So my first product was a scarf that I collaborated with Hannah Betzel. She made this beautiful print for my audience with all of our Darling Down South colors. And it was just the most gorgeous thing. And I'm like, I'm so proud of this. And I've worked so hard. It takes such a long time to get things made. For sure. As a product, whether using an in-town supplier or, you know, off-seas or something. And I just remember like the sales like started trickling in a little bit, like when we first launched and I'm like, why is it there's a smash hit? Like my number is <laughs> said that I was supposed to sell this amount and this amount of time. And, um, you know, moving product is actually really hard, yeah. especially if you've never done it from a personal standpoint, you don't know how much goes into actually getting a good user experience on your shop and, you know, getting that whole trust factor built in. Cause I think like as an influencer, you partner with brands who already have some sort of trust factor. So you're like kind of like working off each other's like trust bubbles there. Whereas like you have this new product that's not really been tested. It doesn't have a lot of reviews or anything. And now you're just asking people to take a gamble with their own money. So um, we are launching another product in the near future, currently working on it. It's made in the South, which is good. I was a little worried about getting an offshore um, supplier. But I'm excited about this one because it's something that I know my audience will actually enjoy. So yeah. the whole toying around with um, the Juniper Mercantile shop that we have. Which was, I love. Thank you. Love going to estate sales and then finding out cool little things and then reselling it to other people. Yeah. And they're just lovely little pieces of your home. But I started honing in on what my audience actually like to buy from the shop. And they love your home stuff. Like that, they, love, they love your home. The like, home stuff sells out all the time. You take pictures of homes all the time. Yeah. Like literally they like the home stuff. So I think that was yeah. seamless. Yeah. So like for me, that was a good gauge on like, will my audience buy more home stuff if we do more home mm-hmm. things? And so the resounding answer has been yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, there's been a few no's in the mix, but like it's been a really good learning opportunity to like softly toe into that space. Which I love. So mm-hmm. we said we're going to flip the script. Oh, yes. You're going to ask me some questions. Yes, I am. Okay. Like, we're going to we're going to get, get All right. to it. Erica. Yes. You were the hardest negotiator I know. Thank you. Yeah, literally the best. And whenever I think of like people negotiating, I'm just like, I need to ask Erica. She has long tips. <laughs> um, so tell me, tell me what you like to do when a brand approaches you for work. Um, well, my dad always says, if you don't ask, the answer is no. And I always like when negotiation, I try and think like a man. And I feel like if the influencer space was more with men, it would be a completely different conversation. Yeah. And I think a lot of women are just scared to ask or they're just thankful for the opportunity and then you get it and you're like, well, this is a lot of stuff. I'm short. I don't even have enough. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like with every brand deal, I always have my fixed. Like I have the rate that I charge per hour. I have how much my photographer is going to charge. I have my props. 
So I already know this is the minimum I can take so I can walk away Mm -hmm. with with some money. You know what I mean? And then when I it's a negotiation. So a lot of people shoot themselves in their foot because they start too low because the numbers scare them. This brand is used to seeing $100,000, $400,000, you know, $6,000, $5,000. It scares you because you know yeah. your, your budget or, you know, your financial situation. Those numbers don't scare them. So I think that I just go in like, yeah, 15, like I think about like contractors. Think about when uh-huh. you were doing your house. Oh yeah. They were saying $17,000, like it was All three day. bucks or whatever. <laughs> so it's just like, this is what I need for my financial goals. This is how much I need to make per year. Yeah. This is how much I need to save per year. And I have to to break it down by everything. And I take pride in creating quality magazine content. Mm -hmm. And when you start hearing about these budgets that these major companies are spending for shoots, I will never forget my one friend told me for a two day shoot for three pictures, the company spent $100,000. Holy moly. The, that is insane. Like the light insanity. guy was getting like a thousand dollars an hour like, I love to it. hold the lights. Get it, light so guy. So I was like, we're not going to go back and forth about digital rights <laughs> over here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I make sure that I have my budget and I always have like what's the least I can take that I'm still profitable mm-hmm. um, because it is a negotiation, but I'm not afraid. I can't miss anything that I don't have. So I'm not scared to leave money on the table. Like this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to pay my bills. It's not, you have to see what's worth your time. Absolutely. And it's just like, if I'm not making money and you guys want this type of picture and you don't want to compensate me, like you don't go inside a Gucci and say, you know what? <laughs> I want that purse, but I want it for eleven ninety nine. Right. And then gaslight you for making bad. You're making you feel bad because you Absolutely. don't want to work for free or eleven ninety nine. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's just, I make sure that I'm stern. I know my budget. Now, sometimes you have to be a little bit flexible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I know that this is the least that I can take. And this is what I have to make. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. I always feel like I've always been like a very hard negotiator as well. And I do have that same mindset that you said, like I negotiate like a man. Yeah, you have to. I don't even think about like, I'm a woman, whatever. I'm like, oh, I have these skills to offer. I have this value to generate. Here's my, here's my number. I think the worst thing is when like a brand comes back to me and they're like, they accept the rate that I sent over immediately. And I was like, shit, you I know, you know, it's more. too low. You I know. know it's too low. And I hate that. And I'm like, they answered that. I was like, oh, we didn't know she was going to be so cheap. And oh. I'm like, oh shoot. And I was like, totally should have asked for like at least $2,000. Exactly. More and like, I hate that you have to like get to that. No, but like, I feel like that. No, it really helps you like gauge for sure where you can go in that. And the thing is, it's always, I don't care what anybody says, my highest paying clients are the easiest. It's always the cheapest ones that are mm-hmm. always like, oh, we want this. We want, they want nothing for something. I just don't have time for the back and forth. Me either. I it's hear too you. too much. But you are the hardest negotiator I know. Thanks, boo. Yeah, of course. Any other questions? I think that's really it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Here we go. Thank you for joining me, Cynthia Ruff. You can follow Cynthia online at Cynthia Ruff on Instagram. And you can follow her website with lots of recipes, amazing fashion, and travel destinations at Darling Down South. Until next time.